welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Every once in a while, an opportunity presents, and you just know you need to follow up. This year, I've been really fortunate to tap into friends and online colleagues to bring you a fairly wide array of guests, We seem to have a pretty good time chatting, that means bringing you an episode, (laughs) because many guests have referred other women they know, and it's been great. The opportunity that recently presented is a service called Podmatch. I put in podcast, podcast guest criteria, and I get potential guests delivered to my account. The response to my invites has been impressive. And today I'm excited to have my very first Podmatch interviewee. Now, I get to read through each bio to make sure they're a good match, and today's guest had me at helping women create more harmony and balance in their lives. There's going to be several topics that we touch on today, but when I see subjects like the art of saying no and how to be okay when things are not okay, I'm interested. So let's get started. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to Regina Andler. Regina, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Agnes, thank you so much for having me here today. Now, Regina, I read your bio from Podmatch, and I could read it out loud here, or you could tell us more about yourself, and I like the latter idea. Who is Regina Andler, and how did she get to the place she is today? Oh, wow. That, that, that's a loaded question. That's a little bit more than my bio as to where did I get to how I am today. <laughs> you are open to share as much or as little as you wish. <laughs> so I am a life strategist and I call myself the chief life strategist for Autumn Ascent Consulting, which is my company. And what I do is I mainly help women who are miserable in their jobs and they're just really looking to discover the work that they really want to do and live the life they want that's what I help them with. I started way back when, probably 15 plus years ago, transforming my own life because I was at a spot where after many corporate jobs and I had my own businesses and then I became caretaker for my parents. And after my dad passed, I cared for my mom for six years after he passed and she lived with me. Everything kind of like went crazy. At that time, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of self-discovery, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. The art of saying no became a big piece because every time somebody asked me anything, I said, of course, sure, I'll do that. (laughs) And when I started learning all of the things I started learning, I actually 
went so far as to become certified as a Jack Canfield success principles trainer, Mm -hmm. and then went on to become certified in whole being positive psychology. It became my mission after discovering what it was that I needed to do with my life to turn it around to helping as many other people as I could possibly help do the same with theirs. Because what I realized was that I was not alone in this. Interesting that bios, obviously, as we all know, really, you put in whatever that you think is going to be pertinent, whatever is going to attract a bit of attention, but you and I have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the first subject I noticed when I met you, and I'm notorious for my air quotes, when I met you online was creating harmony and balance in our lives. What does that look like? Well, it's different for every single person. Harmony and balance to me is probably something completely different to you. Harmony and balance to me looks like, you know, um, financial stability, um, sitting in my kayak in the middle of the pond on a, on a bright, sunny afternoon. Now, it might sound very interesting to many people. Other people might go, oh, I hate the water. I hate kayaks. <laughs> so harmony and balance to everybody is very unique to who they are. And there's a little misnomer in that statement, harmony and balance, because nothing is really completely harmonious and absolutely nothing is completely imbalanced all the time. Life fluctuates, things change. The idea of harmony and balance is an overall concept of that picture that you have and you create in your head of how you want your life to look like. So harmony and balance for me looks like one thing where harmony and balance for you or one of your listeners would be something completely different. I I really understand the part about the harmony. Obviously, we are all different from each other. So yes, our definitions of harmony will differ. When you say balance, and when you were explaining that, I could sort of picture myself on the center of a seesaw, a teeter-totter. And, you know, it's not like you're standing still. It's not like you're perfectly balanced. I love being able to see each other because you see my hands and listeners don't know I'm doing all these hand dicks. But balanced in the middle there, and it's going to tip one side, tip the other. And there's this range of motion within the balance. Um, and it isn't always static. Is that a little bit of a summation, perhaps? Exactly. One of the things that I help people with, and one of the things I always start with people, is we do a life wheel. And my there's a lot of life wheels out there. My particular life wheel has eight different sections in it. And it has, you know, career and job career. It has money and finances. It has uh, health. It has relationships. It has environment, giving back. It has eight different sections on it. And you rate yourself on that wheel from a one to 10 as to where you are. And the first thing I always tell people is that they, they always ask me, this is, well, you know, my wheel, it's, it's going to wobble all over the place. My wagon's going to fall over. This isn't right. Your wheel is never going to be completely balanced. It's going to fluctuate, especially not just, you know, on a, on a, a weekly basis, but a yearly basis, a life, you know, a decade from one decade to the next, your balance is going to be completely different from what it looked like before, because in different sections of your life, you're working on different things all the time. So some sections are up, some are down, and they fluctuate back and forth. The key for the balance, what I always tell people is I rate them from one to 10, one being the lowest that, you know, we're not even touching this right now. Yep, this is absolutely the worst my life could ever be in this section. (laughs) 
we, we really don't want too many ones down there. The goal is to keep it five and above. And that's the balance. So if you're all at five and above in all eight sections, yeah, one might be five, one might be 10. And then as time goes on, six months later, you go and you look at it again, you're like, oh, you know what? This section is so much better now. Um, this section went down a little bit just because I'm not paying attention to it right now because I'm working on this section, but it's still above a five. So it's all good. It's that's where the balance comes in. You have that teeter-totter, like you said, with that scale and you're going up and down. And the idea is not to go all over on one end and fall over and fall off and go flying off the teeter-totter on one end. <laughs> you want to have it where, okay, it's going up and down and teetering a bit, but I'm not flying off one end because I just went completely off balance. You may be the first guest that's really convinced me that we really should record video uh, as well as the audio. <laughs> that's great. Just before we move on from balance, and it's not your wheel, but one definition or one explanation I heard a number of years ago, which really resonated with me, was that old work home balance. And what the person said is in any given day, they, they led a, a large, huge corporation. Um, in any given day, in any given week, they probably spent more hours at the work and less at home. But when they were home, it was 100% home. So it was like they didn't sort of say, oh, I've, I've just got to take a quick call or, or let me check my emails. It was like, no, when they were home with their family, it was all about the family. And that resonated with me, too, just the fact that, you know, like we do have different things in our lives and we can balance them in one way or another. Absolutely true. And that is one of the things that I work with a lot of people with on a regular basis. It's about being present. Mm -hmm. And most of us, a lot of us, you know, we have that monkey brain going on and work is here and then life is on the other side and you know, your home life, the kids, the family, the dog, whatever is on the other side of work. And most people, they have work. And for a lot of people, it's very stressful work. Most people, mm, I won't say most people, I'll say a lot of people are not doing the jobs that they love to do. They're just doing a job. And so when they get home at the end of the day, there's stuff that happened during the day that wasn't quite good. You know, it was, you know, the little, those little stressors, something the boss said, or, you know, that pile of paperwork that's still sitting on your desk or something like that. And when you get home and you're trying to be present with family and, you know, do game night and do dinner and all this other stuff. And at the same time, your brain is still tied into all that stuff that happened in the workspace. So I really love the idea of that person who you said, you know, they were able to turn it off. That's about being present. And that's a skill that you can actually learn on how to shut that stuff off, make it go away so that you can be present with your family when you get home. That does add to your work-life balance because a lot of people will tell you there's, that's a misnomer, work-life balance, that you know, there's no such thing. <laughs> well, there is if you actually want it. It's not something that a lot of us readily do without actually putting some effort behind it and learning that skill of being present. 
I was just going to say exactly that is it's not possible unless you're willing to learn a few skills. So it's, uh, yeah, interesting. Regina, there's a reason the timing of our chat today was serendipitous. And I'm going to get to that shortly. But one thing you speak on that I think almost every boomer woman, and maybe I could even ditch the adjective, almost every woman could use help on is the art of saying no. (laughs) Can you talk to us about saying no? Why is it so difficult? And how do we change that? Sure. Yeah. So I actually wrote a paper on this that I I give away in one of my classes is one of the bonuses. And it's literally the art of saying no. And in there, I talk about these different reasons why people have a problem saying no. And one of them is, the number one is, is that they feel bad. If I say no to you, you might feel bad or be mad at me or, you know, even not be happy. Remember when we were younger and if we said no to our parents, <laughs> we didn't necessarily always get a great response if we said no and they told us to do something. Generally speaking, we were taught that no is a bad word. And that's a belief that we grew up with. It's actually a limiting belief that we grew up with that no is a bad word. And we're supposed to say yes, because that's what people want to hear. Now, the thing is, is that, is that really true? Just like any limiting belief, the question is, is that true for you? And the answer is no. If I say no to you, it's your choice whether or not you're going to be upset because I said no, or whatever your response is to that no, is what you're feeling inside. It's not what I'm feeling inside. I'm feeling, I want to say no, because this is not resonating with me. So the answer is really a no. I am not going to say yes just because I think you want to hear a yes, I'm going to say no, because that's what works for me. You have to get to that spot. The art of saying no is also a skill. It's another one of those skills that you learn because we're taught that no is a negative word. It's a bad word. It's really not. No is a complete sentence. The word no by itself, no, period complete sentence. <laughs> do, do you have that that's that phrase on your one of your websites? Cuz I said I've just read that recently. <laughs> now, if if I'm having trouble learning how to say no, would it help if I sort of took a baby step or even a it's a fairly good sized step perhaps but saying no, I can't do that because you know, I have another commitment or I need to get my mother to an appointment or or something to just to add that because, or even offer an alternate, like if it is something I don't mind doing, just say, well, I can't do that tomorrow, but you know, next Wednesday I'm wide open. I would be happy to do that for you. Can we sort of, is that an in-between place that we can go or is it just better to learn the skill of saying no? (laughs) So when you add a because, when you add a because in after your no, literally you're just trying to make yourself feel better. Yeah, that's all you do. (laughs) It's a limiting belief that saying no is a bad thing. And when you say because, that's you basically, basically making yourself feel better. And and the word I'm looking for just escaped my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I was hoping that if I said because, that you wouldn't hate me as much. (laughs) So that I just found the word. You're qualifying your response. You're qualifying your no. And there's no reason to qualify your no. 
if it makes you feel better to qualify your no, then go ahead and do that. But what it does is it lessens the effect of your no. And if that's okay, it depends on the circumstance of the no. So if it's just a no, I don't want to meet you for drinks tonight, or no, I don't want to go to coffee with you tomorrow morning because I've got appointments, I've got this, I've got that. If there's something really there, then go for it. You know, it's, it's say what makes it, if it lessens it and makes it feel better for both you and the other person, there's nothing wrong with doing that. If it's really a hard no, it's a hard no. Then there's the other side that you kind of said when you're saying that is that there's a different side of that. And that's the maybe it's the, it might be a yes later, but right now it's a no. And that's something completely different. So a no is a no. And if you want to throw that because in there to make you and the other person feel better because you don't want to hurt feelings, you know, there's the, the school of the no is a no, period, full sentence. We're all brought up that we don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So I'm not going to say no without probably throwing that qualifier in there saying, no, it sounds really good. Right now, I'm not interested in it. That's a maybe. If it's a no and it's never going to be interesting to, interesting to you, if it's really never going to be a maybe, then it needs to be a hard no. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to come back later and go, okay, so you said it wasn't good right now because of this, or you had an appointment with your mom or whatever it was that you were doing. So how's it today? Can we do it now? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, yeah, in many ways, if it is a hard no, as soon as you add the qualifier in, you're just lengthening lengthening out the pain process as opposed to doing the hard no and no means no. It's over and done with. You may have that moment, but that passes and and you're free and clear because you never have to say no again because you've said the hard no. Exactly. So if it really is a maybe and or if it's a no right now, then yeah, the qualifier works. So the qualifier is perfectly fine when it's a no, not right now. No, I can't today because whatever, maybe next week, something like that. Yeah, you know, that's perfectly fine. I've been asked, you know, one, one of my things that got me in trouble a long time ago is after I left corporate world, I had a couple businesses of my own that I was, I was in the technical field prior to doing what I do now. This is what I'm doing now, what I love to do and what I've always loved to do. I spent a long time, 30 plus years in the tech field because that's where the money was. And a lot of us spend time in jobs doing things that we don't necessarily want to do because that's where the money was. (laughs) And in that time, when I had my own businesses, I was very involved in local community. And so I got asked to be on a lot of nonprofit boards. And guess what? I never said no. And there was a time when I was actually on five different nonprofit boards. And it wasn't until I realized there wasn't enough time in the day to be on five different boards, do my own work, deal with my employees and all of this other stuff. I need to learn how to say no. And I need to actually back myself out of the yeses that I got myself into. <laughs> and that was actually when I first started learning the art of no. I, I literally kind of did the you know, tongue in cheek kind of thing and went, okay, so I know I told you I'd be on the board for three years. 
but um, I need to bounce off now. <laughs> <laughs> I really should have said no to you in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I find, you know, just thinking about my own past, because I'm in my late 60s now. So when my, my kids were young, you know, there's always the old story. If you want something done, ask a busy person, right? And mm-hmm. it became a point of pride that I was super mom, you know, because I could balance all these things. And I did this and I did that. And I was involved in every group they got into. And then you realize that you're just burning yourself out. And nobody is really sitting home thinking, oh, she's super mom. Because <laughs> they got their own lives. So, yeah, I finally learned to say no and be sane. And uh... Yeah, so when you want to learn how to say no, you, you, can, you can practice. So start saying no. Like I said, no is a limiting belief. The word no has a negative connotation with most of us because we think it's a bad word because when we were young and we said no, it was like, don't you say no to me, young man. Don't you say young, no to me, young girl. We, we got the, yeah, no is a bad word. Don't say no, or you're going to be in trouble. So that's what we, we have that still in our subconscious and in the back of our mind. And, and we use that. So we don't say no, because we think we're going to hurt feelings. We think it's a bad word. It's really not. So what you can do is you can use no in little places and just start saying the word. The more you say no, the more your brain goes, oh, that's not such a bad word after all. I can say that. And so, you know, you say no to little things like, no, I'm not going to have another cup of coffee or no, thanks. I, you know, I don't want that dessert. You know, when the waiter comes over and is pushing that, you know, big chocolate funnel cake on you and you're like, "Um, yeah, no, I can't eat another bite. Really? No. There's like little things like that, that you can start saying no to so that when the big no's come, like, do you really want to, you know, be on that board? (laughs) No. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of those ones where if you feel like it makes you feel better, you can qualify it with the, no, I don't have the time to commit to that. And if I'm going to join a board, I want to be able to be present and be able to commit and participate. I know I can't do that. So the answer is no. Well, and perhaps too, you can practice uh, even tone of voice. I'm thinking you can either say no, like my three-year-old grandson says no. (laughs) Or you can say, you know, no, thank you, but no. You know, like just have a nicer tone of voice. So you're not saying no. (laughs) And once again, maybe you do need to practice that. So if you're not, if you're caught unawares, it doesn't come out as a panic-stricken no. (laughs) And, 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 you know, you just had a good point there when you're caught unawares and somebody asks you something and you feel like you want to say no, your automatic response is to say yes. And so you say yes. And then you're like, oh man, what did I just get myself into? I was supposed to say no. You need to catch yourself. You need to stop and think when somebody comes at you out of the blue and says, so, hey, we have a bake sale at the PTA next week. You're going to cook, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I have no time in my schedule this week to do anything. I'll be happy to go to the bakery and get you a dozen cookies, but I'm not cooking. <laughs> it sounds like one of those deer in the headlights kind of moments. <laughs> a nice little pregnant pause is always helpful in that, in that instance when somebody asks you something. Pause, give your brain a second. Don't do the automatic response and think before you say it. Yeah. Oh, good, good, uh, good thing to remember. That's for sure. 
in my intro, I also mentioned that you talk about being okay when things are not okay. Can you expand on that? Please. Sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We often put on masks for people and we don't show up as our authentic selves because we don't want the other person to read into us to see what's going on. Maybe we're having a really lousy day and we need to be in front of somebody and show up and be happy. And so we fake our happy to them. Now, is that good or is that bad? Well, I guess, it, I, I guess it depends on who the person is that you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody that you've never seen before, you meet, you're going to a networking event or you're going to a, a function or something like that, and you want to put on a happy face, you know, we, we've seen commercials. There's a commercial, and I don't, I don't even know if you see it where you are. This is a commercial for depression medication, which I'm not a fan of any medication, but there's a depression <laughs> medication. And the woman walks around with a plastic or a, a little pop st- popsicle stick that has a, has a smiley face on it that she puts up in front of her face. And that's what it is. It's, and then she takes it down and she has a big frown on her face because she's depressed and she's not happy. When you're not happy, it doesn't matter what kind of happy face you put on. Trust me. Your energy that you're emitting from you tells the person right away, okay, well, she's smiling, but wow, she doesn't seem very happy at all to me. And when you show up as somebody you're not, people automatically will go, okay, well, she's not showing up as her. So who is she really? And they start judging. So I always tell people, show up as who you are. If you're not feeling good, let people know that you're not feeling good. If you're in a bad mood, well, maybe you shouldn't be out with people in the first place. But <laughs> those masks that we put on, you know, we're happy at our jobs, but we're really miserable at our job. Or we're happy in a relationship, but we're really miserable in a relationship. You know, you are the creator of your life. You have created every single thing up until this exact moment that is going on in your life. And that can sometimes throw people when I tell them you, you created everything that's going on right now, because they're like, well, I didn't create the bad job. I didn't create the bad relationship. I didn't create, you know, whatever's going on. And I'm going to counter that with a, yeah, you did. How did you do that? It was by your choices. One of the things that I teach people is one of the Canfield principles, which is my favorite one of all. It's a little equation and it's E plus R equals O. And E stands for the event. The R stands for your response. And the O is for the outcome. So the event plus your response equals your outcome. So if you're miserable, if you're not feeling well, if there's something going on, whatever that outcome is, you've created that outcome from your response. Now, I'm not saying that somebody's not going to feel miserable, depressed, this stuff, life happens, right? And things go on there. Your response at that point is for an outcome is, do you really want to be around other people if that's the way you feel? If if that's what you feel, call them up and say, no, I'm not coming out tonight. (laughs) Use your no. (laughs) Well, perhaps too, I'm, I'm just, as you were talking about that, it reminded me recently, I was meeting a group of women and one of them got out of her car and said, 
so-and-so just texted me to say that she will be 10 to 15 minutes late because she's stuck in traffic. And she's, this woman that got out of the car said, I need to text her back and say that she's not stuck in traffic. She is traffic. And, and that's what reminded me when you said, like, even the job, it's still a choice. If you are super unhappy in your job, you have several choices, one of which is to find a new job. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what I, what I work to help people understand in their mindset, because all I do is consult with people to help them realize that it's their mindset. It's, I, I don't teach anybody anything in particular. I basically help them understand what they're thinking so that they can change their thoughts to create a better outcome. And that response, that creation of your life, everything's there because of your responses. You've made choices your entire life. Some of those choices we've made in order to keep the other person happy, right? Yeah, we make a lot of choices. And then later on, when we're not so happy, we're like, well, we're in a, uh, I really hate this relationship. This is a really crappy relationship. Well, why are you there? Because you chose to be there and you chose to make certain decisions along the way and you're choosing to stay. There's the option to leave. And some people will say, well, I can't leave. He needs me. She needs me. Whatever that is. Well, you know what? They're also the creator of their lives and they need to own it. Taking 100% responsibility for your own life is what you're responsible for. Owning what you create, what you decide on, the choices that you make, when you start making those choices that create the life that you want because you're making better choices, that's when things start to turn around. A lot of us, we just stay on the hamster wheel and go around and around and around because, well, it's just the way we've always done it. And you know, the reality is, is that any change is outside of your comfort zone. So we like being on the hamster wheel. We know the hamster wheel. We know where it's going. We know how many times we have to run to make a revolution. We know how fast we have to go. We know how slow we can go. We know everything about our hamster wheel and we're happy with it. We're all, we're content with it. As soon as we get off the hamster wheel, it's a scary place and all change is out of that scary place. And you can't make a change until you decide to change your mindset and actually do something different. I'm wondering, and I may be totally unrelated here, but I'm going to ask anyways, is to to be on the other side of the equation where you're looking at somebody and you're thinking, uh, oh, you're being a pain in the ass or, you know, some other thing and just step back and say, okay, like, I, I don't know that they haven't just come from the hospital and their mother's on life support or something. So I'm just going to ignore all the bad behavior, probably even ignore the person because that might just be easier because they don't have like that. That person isn't coming in uh, with their honest feelings. They're not coming into a group situation and saying, oh, my God, like I'm really upset to bear with me or whatever. Uh, They're coming in and just being rude and ignoring people. I'm really wandering here, but I'm just wondering, is that, is that even slightly related where you might look at somebody else who's not presenting and say, okay, there could be something going on that I don't know about. So whatever. Yeah. So, so that ties back into what I was saying about the energy. 
Right. So when you, when somebody walks in and they're being rude, they're being mean, they're giving you snippy answers or whatever, you have no idea what's going on in their head. And frankly, it's none of your business. What you're responsible for is what's going on in your head and your responses. So if somebody's being rude or snippy, you can stop and ask them and say, you know, is everything all right? You're not being your usual self today. If they are snippy, then that's when you kind of exit out of the conversation. Go, all right, well, don't know what's going on, but I'm going this way. I'm going to go the other way and <laughs> just call it a day. Or they might say, oh, no, you know, my, my cat just got hit by a car and I'm really upset or, you know, something bad, something, you know, like you said, mother might be in the hospital with life support. Something bad may be happening that is really setting them off and they're, they're, they're just at their wits end. And that's their automatic reaction is just to be snippy or whatever. That doesn't justify that the way they're acting, that is their response. So to the event, so the event, I'll use your, that you said, you know, your mother might be on life support and you don't know that. And they just came from the hospital. That's the event. Their response is they're very upset about that. And they had to go and meet with other people. And in that heightened state of upset and, and, possibly some guilt and anger at whatever is going on. And now they're taking that out on whoever they happen to come into contact with, who has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. So that's where your choices come in and you get to respond how you want for the outcome. And as I mentioned earlier, we all, you know, we want to be caring, loving, kind human beings. And so that's where it's, I, I never really, you know, just flip somebody off and just say, well, screw you, I'm out of here. <laughs> if I notice that in somebody and I sense their energy, it's like, wow, I'll, I'll ask, is there something going on? And if they're a private person, they may have got nothing. And that might be actually enough for them to turn around and leave. Generally speaking, they, they know you're onto them basically. So that's usually enough to make them go, okay, I'm out of here because she's on to me and I don't want to get into this, which is perfectly fine. It's private. It's their business. You asked, you cared, you were kind. And you also have the option if they start going into it more to turn around and leave on your end too, because that's your, that can be your response. So everybody is 100% responsible for the choices and responses that they make. And the key is, we talked about being present, right? The guy with the, the work and the, the life. We talked about being present. When you're not really present and your brain is, your monkey brain is all over the place, that's when you just come out with a response. There's no filter. And, you know, I'll, I'll have to say I'm, I'm in my late 50s and, and, and just about in my 60s as well. And, and I'm going to just say, you know, the older I get, the less filter I have. <laughs> so, I hear you. <laughs> so I really need to be present in those kind of circumstances so that it doesn't just come out. And I don't just say something that I then go, oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, I really apologize because I keep on going down these little roads. But the other thing that comes to mind as we continue on with this conversation is just within a personal relationship, you know, like, 
to ignore the conversation, to avoid the conversation and, well, what's bugging you or what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> and I mean, that gets so many people into so much trouble <laughs> as opposed to that honest, uh, you know, this is what's going on. And, um, you know, like even if, if what's going on that's bad as you, then that's going to have to come out sooner or later. Right. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that when you're not taking 100% responsibility for your own life and they're not doing it as well, then you tend to blame and complain all over the place. And the thing is, is that when we complain about our relationships, who are we complaining to? We complain to our friends. You know, we, we, complain, we complain to somebody who is not the person that we have to complain about. When that does nothing for us, if you have a complaint, if something's going on, if something, you know, if there's something happening in a relationship, whether it's a friend relationship, a, a you know, a husband, wife, whatever, you know, it's, if you're going to complain, complain to the person who can actually do something about it. You know, it's like, honey, I hate to tell you this, but I really hate your snoring. I can't sleep with you anymore. You're driving me nuts. You need to go do something about this. Or you can say, oh, my God, to your friend, your best friend, you're out and you're drinking, you're having a cup, glass of wine. You're like, oh, my God, if he, I'm not getting any sleep. All he does is snore all night long. Well, she can't do anything about it. <laughs> the only person who can do anything about it is him. So if you're complaining to the wrong person, nothing is ever going to get resolved. And that's where a lot of relationship angst comes in because, you know, you complain to the wrong person. If you just said it to the other person, well, yeah, it might get their hairs on up a little bit and they might get a little, little test. You go, what do you mean I snore? I was like, trust me, honey. Do you want me to record you tomorrow night? Because I'm, I'm telling you, this could wake up the dead, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is that you're, you need to complain about, you know, bring it up to the person who can actually do something about it and affect some kind of change. Right. It's interesting as my list of guests grow, how many things come down to that. You make your own choices, you know, mm -hmm. so many different Absolutely. facets of life. So really, really something to think about. Great insights. Thank you. Earlier, I mentioned serendipity. Quite by accident this fall, I've had a theme of sorts <laughs> about women who are so not happy with their nine to five, yet they may still have five, 10 or more years uh, left with their gainful employee. You also talk about how having a less than rewarding job can be a drain both at work and at home. And I think we've touched on some of that, but can you address that specifically? Yeah, Please. sure. So we spend, I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier or not, we spend about a third of our lives mm -hmm. working and that's like 90,000 hours. And that's the average person. Now, depending on where you live and retirement age, I mean, some of us, I don't actually plan to retire because I'm doing what I love. And when you do what you love to do, you don't want to stop doing it. It's not work anymore. It's what you love to do. And most of us, because I, I don't know, I, I would say I'm in that smaller percentage now where I finally got to a point where I love what I do. However, prior to that, I was working and I was working in a job that, you know, I liked it. I liked technology. I knew technology. I started it way back when in my early 20s and before people had computers in their houses and we had all this technology to do this kind of stuff with long before any of this stuff existed. You know, I got into 
the whole technology area. So I knew it. However, it wasn't really what I loved to do. I always loved helping people. And I loved this idea of creating and building and defining the life that I wanted. And when I really learned that you could actually do that, and it was all about your mindset, I was on a mission to do that and do it for the rest of my life. I, I could be on my deathbed. And if a nurse walks up to me on my deathbed and says she's having a problem with her husband, I, I'm guessing my last breath is going to be some kind of advice to her on what to do about it. It's just what I love to do. When you're working a nine to five or whatever, and you're really miserable there, and that's you know the majority of your life or at least a third of your life, of course, that trickles into every other aspect of your life. When that's that much of your life, it, it can't help but not affect the rest of your life if you're miserable in there. So then it's a question of, well, what do you do? And that's where I help people discover what it is that they really love to do. Because discovering what your passion is and what, really, what your purpose and your passion, I firmly believe that everybody is born with a purpose in life. And discovering that purpose is not always cut and dry. I am completely one of those people who are envious of the person who is doing the job that they love and they knew about it when they were a kid. You know, I, I want to be this when I grow up and that's exactly what they became and they love every single day of it. I'm envious of those people because I went through a lot of different ups and downs in this job, that job, this job, that job, before I figured out, this isn't what I want to do. Here's what I really want to do. And then when I, once I discovered it, then I started on the path to get myself there. And now I don't, that, that's all I want to do till the day I die. This subject seems to be the kind of thing that just basically wraps up everything we've talked about so far today insofar as it's our inability to say no. So you, same as you, I was, I had a job when I was younger that I was good at. So I kept on getting more assignments. I hated it. So I didn't say no. I didn't speak my truth. I didn't make better choices for myself in the immediate. So interesting that, uh, yeah, as I say, it seems to be a real culmination. This this job thing. And we've all got this pesky little habit called eating. <laughs> so, you know, as you said, you know, the, the money was good. So you stayed with it. When you filled out my guest application, you said eight succinct words. Um, many boomer women are miserable in their jobs. And is it just that it takes till we get to be boomers to either realize we're miserable in our jobs or to grow to hate the job, or is it a product of our upbringing where we put up with it because it's the paycheck? So I think that, that that's a loaded question for us off. <laughs> okay. Put on your guns, Sally. <laughs> I'll start by saying that we're brought up with a mindset. So we talked about those limiting beliefs. So we're brought up by our parents who lived in an age. I'm, I'm on the edge of the boomers and the the next generation. I'm, I'm like right on the cusp and I'm still a boomer. (laughs) We'll keep you. (laughs) And that being said, 
I was brought up by parents and my dad, that, that was, you went to school, you, you, you learned a trade, you worked a job, you retired with your pension, and that was the way you lived. And that was what was drilled into me as a child. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it works. Now, that didn't take into consideration that the world is changing all the time <laughs> and things don't stay the same. And it doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I know very few people who actually work in any kind of corporate job where they get a pension anymore. They might be able to, you know, put in money into a retirement account or something like that. But as far as like a long-term pension, unless you're in some kind of a government job or someplace where they really have that, most people don't have that kind of setup anymore. And we're brought up to believe that this is the way it works. And so we hold that, again, it's a limiting belief, because is it true? Well, maybe back when my parents were in the workforce, it was true. Not so much for the current generations and anybody who's currently out in the workforce now. So we stay in these jobs that we're miserable at because we think that that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, you know, my dad, you know, he couldn't wait for retirement. He was just, you know, he was just dying to get out of his work and just retire and go do his thing. He hated going into work all the time because, you know, that was what he did, but he worked at his place for 40 years and then he retired. And at the end, was he really happy with his job? Probably not. There was a lot of nights when my dad came home and he wasn't necessarily in a good mood. He brought work home with him and it wasn't always good. He didn't really always love what he was doing. And most of us stay in that position because it's what we're supposed to do. And I'm putting up air quotes, what we're supposed to do. It's not true. We're supposed to do whatever it is that our main purpose is. When you find what your purpose is, You'll know it because just like me, once I found my purpose, I'm, I'm excited to get up every day. I want to come into my office. I want to work with people. I want to do what I do all the time. I actually have to shut myself off and make sure that I have a clock going, hey, it's this time. You're done for the day. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just keep going because I love doing what I do. And a lot of people will stay in that miserable job. And I don't tell people to leave, to do not leave a job because you don't just quit without a game plan. There's still bills to pay. You know, your mortgage isn't going to pay itself. And, you know, the, the utility bills aren't going to pay themselves. There's still stuff to do. So without a game plan, you don't just quit. However, if you're at that spot where you're going, oh, man, I just, ah, uh, you wake up in the morning and the first thought in your mind is, oh, if that stack, stack of papers is still on my desk this morning, I'm just going to scream. And, and you're just miserable and you don't even, you're, you're already anticipating a bad day before the day even started. And if that's the way your life is, then that's trickling into the rest of your life. And, you know, no matter what mask you want to put on, seriously, deep down, you are not happy. You are allowing that job to keep you miserable all the time because it's always in the back of your mind. It's keeping you awake at night. You're having dreams about work and all this other stuff. So what can you do? That's when you start working on figuring out, I don't know, what do I really want to do? What makes me happy? What brings me the most joy? And how can I make a living at that or find a job doing that? And then start working on your exit plan. Stay in your job that you're miserable at, because here's the thing. 
the big catch is that once your mind shifts and all of a sudden you go, you know what, I'm really done with this. And you're thinking, okay, I have to figure out what it is I want to do. And then I have to come up with that game plan. Once your brain shifts into that mode, all of a sudden the day job isn't so bad anymore because it knows there's an end to it. So even though you're still dealing with the same exact stuff you had before, your mindset has shifted because your mindset is now, okay, you know, we're working on our exit plan, just deal with today. And we know there's a light at the end of my tunnel and it's not the oncoming train. It, it's something actually really good. <laughs> this is, I, I don't know if you noticed me leave you for a moment. It was only this morning that I was on a call with this speaker and he said something, he quoted somebody, and I immediately went and found it on, on Google. And just you talking about your father, and we've also, I've got children, I've got grandchildren, and that whole thing. And what it was, it was a quote from Carl Jung, and it says, nothing affects the life of a child so much as the unlived life of its parent. And you think about the 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 big picture there of you know you watching your dad just put up with a job for 40 years and you know like if my children and my grandchildren see me just plodding through and hating a third of my life then really really not a good example at any level exactly and and the thing is is that we're all we're all products of how we were brought up and so until you get to a point in your life you said why do so many boomer women get to this point, you know, it's, it's actually kind of funny because the statistics say that like the millennials and the newer generation, they're actually catching on much faster. They're actually catching on to the, Hey, I don't want to be miserable. I want to go do what I want to do. In some cases that causes us boomers to go, well, how come they can do it? And we can't. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I can. I can do that too. Wait a minute. Why am I working this job? Why am I staying here? What was I thinking? And as we get older, just like not having the filter anymore, <laughs> the filter going away, our courage boosts up too, because we get to a point where we're like, you know what? I'm done. I, I, I'm done being miserable at what I'm doing every day. I think I need a change. And I think that's finally time I took one for myself and, and made one. And, you know, that's where the scary part comes in because change can be scary, especially if you've been doing the same thing for the longest time, when I started doing what I'm doing now, I left over 30 years of tech. I still have people calling me up. One of my neighbors just texted me the other day and, and said she had a virus on her computer. And so I said, oh, wow, that's a bummer. Here's this guy's phone number. Call him. He'll help you fix it. I had no attachment to the tech <laughs> at all. It was in, in my past life, I would have jumped right on that and gone, okay, let's, let's, let's work on this. Let's figure out what's going on. I was like, yeah, no, here, call this guy. He'll help you. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> we come to a point where we're like done. And once you get to that place where you go, there's something better. I know there's something out there. Once you make that discovery and you know that there's something out there, that means you've identified in yourself that you're not doing what it is you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing whatever it is your purpose is. That's when you've all of a sudden come to a realization. You just know, well, I know it's not this. And the best part of that is that process of elimination, right? You can 
figure out what it is you do love to do by knowing what you don't love to do. (laughs) So, So in that process of elimination, so that job wasn't useless. It did serve as as an example of what it is you don't want to do. I think we all need to go out and resurrect that fabulous movie called Nine to Five. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) I do too. And actually, there's a documentary follow-up that just came out in the last couple of years too. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's on Netflix or something. But uh... Regina, I'm used to having a bit of history with my guests until today. (laughs) What haven't I asked you that you want to say to boomer women? Oh, wow. Just, you know, keep plugging at it because especially boomer women, you're at a point in your life. I named my company Autumn Ascent for a reason. It's because we're in the autumn of our lives and I specifically work in the boomer area. And it's because we're at that autumn of our lives where, you know what, we shouldn't have to just stay on our hamster wheel and do the same old, same old and know that there's just something just right outside the door that if we could only get the door open, it's time. It's time to say, you know what? You're right. I'm done. I'll come up with my exit plan. I'll figure out where I'm going to go. I'm going to start making better choices. I am the creator of my life. And, you know, we write our own story. Some of us have, you know, a big book. Some of us have a little book. Some of us are writing new chapters. Some of us are chucking the whole old book and just starting a whole brand new book. You know, it all depends on where you are and what you want to do. If you are at a spot where you're just ready, you might just say, okay, that was that book. Yeah, we're starting a series and I'm on the next book now. (laughs) I love, I love, I love that analogy. That's great. (laughs) You have a program, I believe I saw on one of your websites called Finding Me. What's that? Yes. Finding Me is a a 10-week program that I have. It's my signature program. And it is a very unique program that combines a lot of different areas that I feel are the things that I had to go through and learn while I was trying to figure out in 15 years. It took me to figure out where I wanted to be and find me. So Finding Me is a 10-week course that's more of the condensed so people don't have to spend 15 years figuring out all of those, those, the nuggets, the golden nuggets out of all the stuff that I learned over 15 years is basically what what comprises Finding Me. And it's basically set up as a program that allows you to create what I call a life transformation plan. So at the end of the program, everybody has their own specific, unique to them, life transformation plan that they can go forward with and start implementing to basically figure out where they want to go in their next move. Because in 10 weeks, obviously, 10 weeks is a short amount of time to go make a big change if you're miserable at your job. However, in 10 weeks, you can discover what it is that your purpose is, where you want to go and start coming up with that game plan and writing it all out. So now not only do you have a game plan in your head, you also have it on paper in the form of goals and action steps to take to get you to where you want to be. That's what finding me is all about. Oh, that's great. And where do people find you on the World Wide web? (laughs) (laughs) So I am most active out on my Facebook group, and that is the Harmony and Balance Connection for Women. 
and I post out there. I, I drop a lot of free content. I do lives every week and, and, and give all kinds of great information out there and lots of cool stuff. The Finding Me program is at www.lifeofmydreamsnow.com. And I also have a free consumer awareness guide to finding harmony and balance in your life. That's at www. <laughs> I've I got so many. Do you want me to bring it up? I know I've got four windows open right now. <laughs> find find harmony and balance now.com. And and if they go to my automascent.com, that actually redirects them to my lose your limiting beliefs now. So if you're having a challenge with some of those limiting beliefs, I actually have a free webinar. That's a it's a it's less than 30 minutes. It's actually 28 minutes webinar that gives my three golden nuggets on how to identify and remove limiting beliefs for good. And it comes with a free workbook. So you can do it on your own and, and fill that out too. And that, that is at automascent.com or lose your limiting beliefs now.com. Finally, somebody who has as many websites as me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes. And listeners, do drop by Regina's websites. I have already done that. She offers some awesome resources that you'll find really helpful. If you have comments on today's episode, leave them where you listen to podcasts, or you can go to twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. If you want to be a guest on the Two Boomer Women podcast, there's an application form at the website too. Feel free to leave stars, of course. They do help us grow. Regina Andler, thank you so much for sharing today. Such great information and so many tips. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. <laughs> you as well.